The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now on Bloomberg 99.1. With divided government, what are the political realities? The president is increasingly frustrated. I want to try to cut through the noise. Politically, this is devastating. Sound on with Kevin Cirilli. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. It is no secret that I care a lot about the consumers. There are real questions about big tech. We still have more leverage to use with the tariffs. I think we could do with a little less drama from the White House. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99. 991 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. Happy Hump Day, folks. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Bloomberg News Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Lots of news to get through today. Secretary Nielsen of the Department of Homeland Security testifying on Capitol Hill. Fireworks, folks. Political fireworks as she continues to defend President Trump on the ongoing saga over whether or not there should be a declaration of national emergency regarding the wall. Uh, It's divided Republicans, not uh, up on Capitol Hill, particularly in the Senate, where it appears that President Trump is going to have to issue his first veto. We're going to dive into that all-star panel. Uh, Democratic strategist uh, Kevin Walling is back for the hour, as is Republican strategist Lauren Zelt. We're going to talk about that, about trade policy. Uh, and uh, we also have uh, some other news to get through, including the U.S.-China trade talks. Kevin Walling is a Democratic strategist and also uh works at HG Creative Media. Lauren Zelt is the founder of Zelt Communications. Congrats on the new business, Lar. Thank you. It's a great name. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. That's huge. And of course, a Republican strategist with deep ties into the Republican universe. And the big story today, I was up on Capitol Hill all day, uh, a bevy of activity. You've got Michael Cohen testifying behind closed doors uh, for the House Intelligence Committee. We're going to hear from Congressman Chris Stewart, a member of House Intel. He's a Republican from Utah. He's calling in later on in the program. But but really, uh, Secretary Nielsen, uh, she, of course, the Homeland Security Secretary, her first time testifying before the new Democratic-controlled Congress about this ongoing debate over whether there's a national emergency. We heard uh, the soundbite with uh, re- – well, actually, we have the soundbite of the, of the, the whole uh, hearing that really this captures it. Uh, so here's Secretary Nielsen uh, facing questions from a House Committee on Homeland Security about President, President Trump's declaration of a national emergency. Here she is. Listen. What I do is I give him the operational reality. Here's what we're facing. Here's what we're seeing. Here are the facts. Uh, by my read of it, it is an emergency. It is a dual crisis. Laura, is this a national emergency? I don't believe it is. Um, I, I, my personal opinion on this one is that I, I think it's an abuse of the power of the executive branch. Um, you see a lot of conservatives um, holding out on this because the reality of the situation is we're going to have a Democratic president again someday, and they will be able to point back to this moment if the president does declare this, um, you know, and 
if uh, somehow uh, the resolution doesn't get vetoed, which isn't likely, um, you, it, they'll use this as a precedent. And I mean, is the Green New Deal an emergency? Um, you know, a lot of things like that, that I just think this precedent is very dangerous. I, I think that I do think we have a problem at the border. We do need common sense immigration reform. We need to find a good way to deal with the migrants that want to come to this country. But is it a national emergency by constitutional standards? No. Kevin? Yeah, I mean, Lauren and I are in total agreement on this uh, on this front. I mean, you don't declare a national emergency and then take off the weekend to go play golf down at Mar-a-Lago. And, and I think you're seeing, you know, upwards of 10 uh, Republican senators uh, may vote against uh, this uh, action by the president, join the, their Democratic colleague, colleagues that are unified in, in objection to this national emergency. I think Lauren's absolutely right in terms of it, of it setting a precedent. And there will be Republican presidents and Democratic presidents in the future that then can now look to this as a power grab. Congress decides the budget, they allocate the funds, and a president dismissing that and doing his own thing when it comes to allocating funds is unconstitutional. Okay, but here's what I don't understand is, okay— so you've got some Republicans like Senator Susan Collins saying that they are going to vote with the Democrats mm-hmm. in the House to essentially send a bill to the president's desk that he's going to have to veto. He said he's going right. to veto it. Then you have the ongoing legal dispute that likely will end up in the Supreme Court right. over the legality of this. But where are the folks on Capitol Hill? Where is your former boss, Senator Mitt Romney? Where is are Democrats even? Why aren't they organizing separately to come up with a, a plan or a package that, okay, if you don't like to send a different package to the president's desk uh, to give some type of, of, of uh, you know, gang of eight, gang of 12, whatever, to the president to say, here is comprehensive immigration reform. Well, you know, I think that we've tried, you know, comprehensive immigration reform many times before. I think that this is a difficult situation for Republican leadership in the Senate. Um, I, you know, if you look at a Senator Mitt Romney, his his criticism of the emergency declaration, um, it has been there. It hasn't been as strong as I think some people might have expected. But I expect that he'll vote to annul the emergency resolution. Um, but you have a lot of constitutional conservatives, right? You have Ted Cruz, um, Mike Lee is a holdout, and Rand Paul has has said that he will vote no on, on strictly constitutional principles. I think that the Senate Majority Leader is, is having a difficult time with this because he wants to stand with the president. Um, you know, the Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. Um, so you have these senators like Susan Collins, um, like Tom Tillis in North Carolina, where, of course, they're going to vote with the Democrats because they come from swing states. And, you know, it's just a very difficult situation for leadership. But we've seen with comprehensive immigration reform, we've tried um, it. It, it should happen. It needs to happen. But this is not the political climate for it to happen. OK, I want to switch gears uh, because there's another major story that is uh, boiling over uh, tonight. Uh, and in case we, we've been talking about this uh, a little bit here on the program, but it's Congresswoman uh, Omar uh, and Congresswoman Ilan Omar. She is, of course, the freshman Democrat. And from Minnesota, and she's been tweeting anti-Semitic remarks uh, and, and, and really continued to do so. And now you have a situation where House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is under pressure. How is she going to handle this? And reportedly, there's going to be some type, as early as tonight, some type of vote on the House that would condemn anti-Semitic bigoted remarks that many are interpreting as a direct response to Congresswoman Omar and 
it has totally upended the political chatter. And typically we don't lead with stories like this. But this is different in the sense that it, it, it's different, Kevin. No? Yeah, I agree with you, Kevin. And I, I think the congresswoman uh, from Minnesota, Representative Omar's remarks are unfortunate. And, um, you know, you saw reports coming out of a caucus, a Democratic House caucus a meeting today that got a little fiery between the leadership and, and rank-and-file members over this issue. But I think Democrats need to stand united behind uh, the fact that any kind of anti-Semitic trope is is not just unfortunate, it's wrong, uh, and it needs to be called well, why out. why does she and keep it doing be, it? Well, you know, it's a great question. I mean, this is this is the second, third time, fourth time that this has come up with this particular member. And I think some folks in leadership need to pull her aside and have an educational moment with her uh, about what it means to be a, a member of Congress. She's put not in the legislature anymore in Minnesota, uh, and she's on the world stage. I put on put on your, your political advising cap because sure. you know this town. I mean, behind the scenes, I would hardly um, – I, I can't imagine that there aren't senior folks who are, you know, pulling her aside and saying, correct this but this as you mentioned is like at least the fourth time yeah in turn and and it's outright i mean there's no yeah. way you can look at this her i don't even want to read her tweet no the, it's, it's really inappropriate yeah and it's so I, and it's mean-spirited know. and it's mean-spirited so, right i mean i, I want to so so what how do you get through to someone like that a freshman who's who's not you know, well, I think maybe maybe this resolution will will have some effect. I think um, you know part of the problem is a serious concerns that Democrats have with the the Bibi Netanyahu administration ruling party of Israel and disagreements with uh, his positions and not being able to separate disagreement with the leadership of Israel and Israeli citizens and and the right to that country to exist in in the world stage, in peace and security. And I think if Democrats need focus on that uh, and reining in these remarks and condemning them outright, uh, I think uh, that is a strong indication to this representative and others that may share these views. You know what's crazy is like that's something you tell to an elementary school student. The fact that you even have to make that case on tone to a, a lawmaker, that, that confuses me. Coming up, we talk more about the controversy with Democrats and Congresswoman Omar. We also have Congressman Chris Stewart, Republican from Utah, member of the House Intel Committee. What did Michael Cohen have to say today behind closed doors? Panel stays, Lauren Zelt and Kevin Walling. You can download the Sound On podcast on iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com and iHeartRadio. I'm Kevin Cirilli. This is Bloomberg 99.1. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. It's the 21st century, and the fact that we have to put a resolution on the floor and spell out for people across this country what anti-Semitism means is, is pretty outrageous. That's Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz, a Democrat from Florida. We were speaking earlier about the brewing controversy uh, following Congresswoman Ilan Omar, the freshman Congresswoman Democrat from Minnesota, her anti-Semitic remarks, anti-Semitic tropes that she's made on Twitter. And now it looks like Democrats are going to have to have some type of resolution brought to the floor condemning these types of remarks. But... There's some infighting within the party. Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez uh, tweeting out, uh, I'll, read, I'll read her tweet, saying that it's not my position to tell people how to feel or that their hurt is invalid. Uh, and, and, and she's saying no one seeks this level of reprimand when members make statements about Latinos and other 
communities. This is an issue, folks. It's going to be it, – it, th- this is what Democrats up on the Hill were talking about all today. This, of course, in addition to Michael Cohen testifying behind closed doors for the House Intelligence Committee. We're going to cover that when Congressman Chris Stewart, a member of the committee, Republican from Utah, calls in. Lauren Zelt is a Republican strategist, just started her new uh, consulting firm, Zelt Strategies. Communications. Zelt, Zelt Communications. <laughs> Close. I apologize. Zelt okay. Communications. Uh, and Kevin Walling, Democratic strategist, uh, works over at HG Creative. Lauren, this is not good for 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 the Democrats. But to, to AOC's point, I mean, where was this stuff when, when Congressman Steve King was making his remarks? Well, right. You know, I mean, we listened to Debbie Wasserman Schultz um, leading up to this segment, and it's very rare that I agree with her, but I happen to agree with her on this one. I mean, the remarks are are outrageous. They should be condemned. And, you know, I think this this goes to a larger point. I'm glad that you brought AOC up and her weighing in on this because her brand of, uh, you know, I guess activism, you would say, as a member of Congress is, you know, she really has made it clear that she is not going to listen to anyone. She's not going to listen to leadership. She's already, you know, talking about what Democrats should be targeted in the primary because they work with Republicans. And so I think that that has kind of emboldened people, um, you know, that have views that perhaps certainly should not be, you know, shared um, in real time on Twitter. And, you know, I think that this is indicative of our our entire environment right now. Um, Obviously, you see a lot of really horrible things said by people on the right um, as well that that absolutely should be condemned. But I think what we're seeing on the Democrat side is almost the, the 2010 Tea Party equivalent on steroids because even in 2010 the news cycle didn't move as quickly um people didn't feel i think as emboldened and as keyboard warriors as they do in 2018 in the age of trump you know where twitter is everything and you know yes it's dividing democrats i wish that it wasn't um you know her remarks are unacceptable and should be condemned full stop all right, let's uh, let's switch gears. Let's talk trade policy because there are some new, a little bit of, of of new developments on the ongoing U.S.-China trade policy. I was struck by this now that the attention as trending positively for U.S. and China. Now we're hearing that the president is readying increasing tariffs on European countries. So while things are looking good in one direction, not so good in another, and that appears to be more of a global. Uh, negotiation strategy on behalf of this administration, according to some of the sources that I speak with. I, I want to play for you what President Trump had to say earlier today about trade, Kevin, uh, and get your response. Serious. We're moving along. We're discussing that with Lindsay and Mitt. Uh, they're moving along well. We'll see what happens. They're either going to be a, a good deal or it's not going to be a deal. But I think they're moving on very nicely. So that was... Uh, them talking about he's, he's hopeful that there's that there's going to be uh, a new a new deal. But again, when you talk to folks in the business community, they are a bit perplexed to see that the tariffs might be increasing on European nations. Yeah, I mean, and the Commerce Department they were a little delayed with the government shutdown, but they released the figures for last year's uh, trade imbalance, which hit a record eight hundred and ninety-one billion. Wow, the largest in our two hundred and forty-year history in this. Uh, in the in this country and a record uh, trade deficit with China, which hit uh, 419 billion, so nearly half of our trade deficit uh, is with China. And this this president campaigned on reining in our trade deficit. It is exploding. Uh, you know, campaigned on this America First strategy, uh, which is not the case with these numbers. And uh, again, you can say this is Barack Obama's economy, uh, maybe early on when he inherited uh, the the economy from the from President Obama. But he's been in office two years. He campaigned on reining in trade. 
Medicaid uh, deficits uh, and this spending. Uh, I think a lot of it was exasperated by the $1.5 billion uh, uh, tax plan that mainly benefited corporate America and those the most wealthiest uh, at the top. Uh, but this is a huge problem for this president heading into 2020. Kev's getting wonky. He's crunching the numbers. I got the numbers in front of me. Get out the calculator. Yeah, look out. This is Bloomberg. Here. This Where, is Bloomberg. <laughs> where's the Bloomberg terminal? Chart? Yeah, man. Need. All right. Coming up, we check in with Congressman Chris Stewart, Republican from Utah, member of the House Intelligence Committee. He was behind closed doors all day with Michael Cohen. We'll get back into trade policy as well. Kevin Walling gets wonky Democratic strategist and stays with us, as does Lauren Zelt of Zelt Communications and a Republican strategist. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You can download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com and iHeartRadio. We get wonky here on Sound On. This is Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. Busy day, folks. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Bloomberg News Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Bloomberg Radio. We were talking about trade policy as well as the divide within the Democratic Party over Congresswoman Ilan Omar, the Democrat from Minnesota's anti-Semitic remarks. And now it looks like Democrats are going to have to bring some type of measure uh, rebuking her. And the, the scope of that measure remains uncertain. Some Democrats saying that it should be broader to condemn all bigotry and not just her. But other big news, in addition to U.S.-China trade policy, involves Michael Cohen. He was back up on Capitol Hill today, this time testifying bef- behind closed doors before members of the House Intelligence Committee, according to my colleague Emma Kennery's Reporting on the Bloomberg Terminal, President Trump's former lawyer, Michael Cohen, gave the House Intel Committee documents related to a Trump real estate project in Moscow, which, remember, back in 2017, this is one of the incidents that Michael Cohen lied about, the AP breaking that story. Joining us on the telephone, Congressman Chris Stewart, a Republican from Utah. Congressman, thank you for calling in. What did you make of what you heard from Michael Cohen today on the House Intel Committee? Well, honestly, it was a lot of thunder, not much rain. But that can't, that can't surprise a lot of people. I mean, look, the Republican Intelligence Committee did a 15-month investigation. The Senate Intel did a 22-month investigation. Mr. Mueller is, you know, two-plus years. Hundreds of uh, of reporters who have been aggressively pursuing the story. I, I really think people would be would be very, uh, at least I would be surprised to think that we'd learn something dramatic at this very late stage in the investigation. So, you know, it's the second time we've had Mr. Cohen back before the committee. And uh, it's been a long day. It was a long day last week as well. But, uh, you know, honestly, there just aren't any real bombshells. I think it would be, as I said, very surprising if we learned something dramatic at this late date. 
Congressman Chris Stewart, Republican from Utah, joining us on the line. Headlines crossing the Bloomberg terminal now. Uh, Michael Cohen gave some remarks emerging from those from that private hearing. He says that the House hearing went, quote, very well, that members seem, quote, unquote, satisfied and says that he will continue to cooperate with the investigation. Congressman, uh, you being a member of this committee, uh, witnessing last week the production that went into this very public hearing that captivated the attention of of much of the country, if not the world, what exactly do you think is new to be learned here, or has this just become a partisan uh, event? Well, let me say the Intel Committee work is a little bit different. Our format is very different, and you know we don't do it before the cameras, which is one of the reasons that many of us love the committee. We take our work very seriously. Now, that includes the Russian investigation, but there's also very important work outside of that regarding intelligence and national security that we hopefully have some time to work on as well. But when you look at some of the open committees, like we saw last week, government oversight and judiciary, I mean, that is political theater. Everyone has five minutes. They spend four minutes and 40 seconds making a statement, a political statement, and then 20 seconds asking a question. Ours is a little different. We, we take it in one-hour blocks. Uh, majority has an hour. We have an hour. Then we 45, 45. And, and we've got time to really dive down to pursue a line of questioning in a serious way. You're not making statements. None of us make any statement at all down there. We just ask sincere questions. But to your question, as I said earlier, I don't want to say it's just political theater, but it just can't surprise people that there's no bombshells there. Uh, Mr. Cohen has been before the special counsel for months. He's, he's been in, interrogated by him for something like 70 hours. He's been very public in his comments. Uh, we had some interesting line of questions on some kind of minor details, a few things here and there, but no dramatic you know, turn of events, no dramatic revelation that I think would make people scratch their heads. Congressman Chris Stewart, a Republican from Utah, joining us. He is uh, a member of the House Intelligence Committee. He has also served in the U.S. Air Force. And uh, I believe you set three world speed records, including the fastest nonstop flight around the world. Congressman, that's impressive, yeah. especially I just got back from Vietnam, and it was a long flight. So any, any way you could have got me there and back faster <laughs> I would have been appreciated. Well, well thanks for bringing that up because – my, you know, flying in the Air Force was a lot more fun than being in Congress. <laughs> well, let's stick with but, your work in Congress, but, uh, <laughs> but that's funny. Uh, Congressman, in terms of where things go from here, in particular, there's this debate going on right now, first and foremost, about the timing of the release of the Mueller investigation and then whether or not the full report should be made public. Do you yep. believe, sir, that the that the report that the American people have a right to to see the full Mueller investigation report? Absolutely, absolutely, and I've been saying that from the very beginning. And for there's a number of reasons. Number one is it, this has been overclassified on almost every level. We're not talking about national security, and I'm talking this entire Russian investigation. We're not talking about nuclear secrets. We're not talking about means or sources or methods. There's nothing that by its nature, or at least very, very little that by its nature, nature about this is actually classified. This is a political exercise. And, and I think the American people deserve to have complete and, and utter transparency into that. And the second reason is this. If there's a single line or a single paragraph of the Mueller report that is redacted and it isn't released, 
a lot of conspiracy theorists and others who really hope there's something there and may be disappointed if they're not, a lot of those folks are going to look at that and say, yeah, but the conspiracy is in here. It's in this redacted part, and they just won't show us. I, I just think it's far better for everyone. I think it's better for the president. I think it's better for Pat- Department of Justice and for Mr. Mueller if we just release the whole thing. and let Yeah, the just let it out there. Mean. I mean, seriously, we've been talking about this thing for, it feels like, forever. I mean, like, the country deserves to see it. Any side, you like the president, don't like this, just read the thing. I want to switch gears. You were, before you got into office, you were president and CEO of the Shipley Group. Uh, everyone knows Shipley. You guys are, you know, the best consultants in terms of energy and the environment. How has the U.S. or the president's trade policies impacted what's going on in the, in the energy sector? Uh, and and if, if you can weigh in on that. Yeah. Well, that's actually a really interesting question. It's nice to talk about something other just than the Russian investigation <laughs> as well. So we do on this uh, you know, show, sir. His, his policies on trade, I, I was initially a little bit torn on because uh, as a Republican, as, a, as you know, kind of the mantra, the basis of Republican is free market. We believe in the free flow of capital and ideas and goods and services across, uh, across borders. And we've always believed that. The president took a slightly different approach. The one thing that, I'm, that I've become convinced that it was absolutely necessary, and that is our, the, the essential need to confront Russia, I'm sorry, China, because, A, their trade practices are unfair and have been for a generation. And second, it gives them a decided advantage on, on issues of national security and their position in the world. And I'm talking about when they steal technology, uh, intellectual property, and they use that to position themselves in the region and, and position strength. But what their goal is to globally position themselves. And, and I think we just eventually have to confront that one way or the other. And it's going to be harder in 10 years than it is to do that now. And the second thing I would maybe add to that is this real, this real miracle we've seen in the United States technology-driven <laughs> energy policy, energy development, and how that has changed the world in a very positive way by us becoming such a powerful influence in the market globally on energy production. So, and then, and, and to follow up on that, I mean, just in, in terms of the energy debate, as we have these U.S.-China trade talks, you also have the progressive left, left pushing for this new Green Deal, as they're calling it. How is that, I mean, I, I would imagine that you disagree with it, but, but how has that even emerged? How has that debate emerging impacted the lay of the land in terms of the energy sector and energy corporations and, and for, for businesses as they try to navigate through this new rhetoric that we're hearing from the left? Yeah. I mean, my perception of the energy sector and their response to it has been they don't take it seriously because they know it's not a serious proposal. I mean, you can't wean the United States off of uh, fossil fuel, carbon-based energies in 10 years. That's, you just, it's technically, technologically impossible, and they know that. And, and it would destroy our economy. It would destroy our standard of living. It would destroy many of the freedoms we take for granted. For example, your ability to own a car if you want to. Or to, or you know, the the price and the cost of this would be just incredibly prohibitive. So I don't think they're overreacting to it. I do think what the energy market is considering, and that is, in the longer term, you know, because very clearly this has taken up a bit of a life of its own, and there are a surprising number of people who are actually supporting and being a proponent for these ideas. In the longer term, how do we address that? How does the energy sector address that? And I think that's probably a positive. We need to move as aggressively as we can towards cleaner fuels. I think everyone 
everyone I think is a is, is a supporter of that idea. But we need to do it in a reasonable way. And uh, but this Green New Deal is just not reasonable. It's not real. And uh, and I'm surprised by a number of really people that I know and are fairly informed and and, I, and people that I respect who who take give a far more credibility than I think it deserves. All right, Congressman Chris Stewart, Republican from Utah, member of the House Intel Committee, making the time for us on what was a very busy day for him as he uh, had to be behind closed doors with Michael Cohen to be a fly on the wall for that. Also, he's interesting, Congressman, because I understand you're a rock climber, and I love doing all that workout, like off offbeat workout stuff. Where's the most interesting place you've been rock climbing? Well, that's obviously Zion National Park in my home district out in Utah, one of the most gorgeous go. places in the world just to just to drive through, just to be there. But it's got some of the greatest rock climbing in the world, too. So, uh, you know, back when I had a life and <laughs> do that kind of stuff, uh, I mean, I'd rather do that than anything. All right. Well, how about you take a reporter out rock climbing? That'll be fun. Let's All right. do it. Thank you, Congressman. Coming up, panel reacts to that interview. Lauren Zelt, Republican strategist. Kevin Walling, Democratic strategist. Plus, we get back into the weeds of U.S.-China trade policy and 2020 chatter. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You can download the Sound On podcast on iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg business app. You can also check us out on Radio.com and iHeartRadio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Bloomberg News Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Kevin Walling is a Democratic strategist, also works at HG Creative, a political consulting firm. And Lauren Zelt is a Republican strategist and is the founder of Zelt Communications. She's also the former deputy communications director for Senator Kelly Ayotte and the former director of media affairs for the Romney-Ryan presidential campaign uh, and also has worked at the RNC. Thank you both for joining uh, for the hour. We just heard from Congressman uh, Chris Stewart, a Republican from Utah. Kev, I'll start with you, the Democrat. What did you think of the Republican member of the House Intel Committee? Yeah, I was definitely very encouraged by uh, Congressman Stewart's remarks in terms of the Mueller probe wanting it to be released uh, you know, in its entirety to the American people. Um, I fully support that. I think you're going to see Democrats pushing for that as well and putting pressure on our new Attorney General uh, Barr to, to do that, to make that available to the Congress and to the American people. One, one a little bit of bone of contention was you know, that the, the idea that you know Republicans have been investigating, at least on the House side, for the last 15 months and that nothing new will come out from Michael Cohen. The very fact that this is the first time last week that Michael Cohen was called before the Senate Intelligence Committee, you saw him bringing in suitcases of documents and materials to that committee, uh, I think is pretty striking. And, and it speaks to the really lack of oversight that went on for two years and the fact that now we're finally getting some answers from Mr. Cohen and, and from this administration. Hey, Kev, you know who disagrees with you? Everybody? White House Press Secretary Sarah oh. Sanders. Let's roll the tape. Let's hear here's what Bring it on, Sarah. Here's what Sarah Sanders had to say earlier today at the White House. They continue to be a uh, group that is totally taken by a small, radical, leftist fringe of their party, and they're completely controlled by it. They know that's not enough uh, to beat this president, so they're going to look for other ways to do that. 
So that's Sarah Sanders. She's saying, I mean, but, but seriously, I mean, she's essentially framing this as we gear up for 2020, uh, framing this as a radical leftist fringe that has hijacked the, the Democratic Party. There's no fringe involved. It's, it's the majority of the American people that express their will for some kind of checks and balances uh, overwhelmingly in the midterm elections, 40 new members of Congress on the Democratic side that are finally putting in place some accountability uh, on this administration. Every single day we're learning something new, whether it's security background checks, whether it's Mr. Cohen's testimony last week, uh, whether it's the breakdown in talks in, in Hanoi and the, the disparate views coming out of that based on what North Korea said and what this administration said. The fact that we are finally getting accountability of this administration is not a fringe element. It is what the majority of the American people want. I'm going to rip up the script to quote my friend, mentor, and colleague Tom Keene. I'm going to rip up the script. Lauren... What is on your radar that we haven't dove it dive dove in dived dive, dove dip dive dip dip mm. dipity dip dived dive that we haven't dive. dived into I in actually, terms of policy yeah in terms of policy this uh, we saw yesterday um, that FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb um, yes. decided to resign it was something of a surprise um, I was at an event with him this morning um, where he gave his first appearance and said you know it, it strictly is family reasons nothing to do with policy but you know he did a lot of good. Um, you know, in trying to speed up approvals for um, generic drugs to lower prescription drug costs for Americans. You know, that that's not as sexy of a news story as, as something of a Michael Cohen, but it has made a real difference for the American people. And his work on vaping, too. Yeah. He was a, a huge advocate in terms of the, the pipeline for young people getting involved in that kind of dangerous activity that led to drugs or drug use down the road. Yeah, he was... He, you know, he was one of the good yeah. ones of this administration, actually, and it was a surprise to me too, Lauren. Yeah. What, what else in terms of uh, Kev? In terms of policy, what have you been following? Yeah, I'll tell you the interesting thing. You know, all the fireworks, as you rightly point out, Kev, were on the House side in terms of the Homeland Security uh, Committee and Secretary Nielsen on that side. Uh, I actually sat in on the Senate Judiciary Committee. They they had a hearing. Uh, in response to the two young people, migrants that lost their lives uh, in the custody of our, our border and customs control. Uh, and there was actually some talk of uh, renewing the conversations around comprehensive uh, immigration reform. You, you and the president wants that. The I mean, president wants I've that. I've talked have several so. folks yeah. who have been saying that. Now you've got the manufacturers. Let me tell you something. He's listening to those manufacturers. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. And they're pushing for this behind the scenes. So that will be, I think, somewhat interesting. And and you have Lindsey Graham in his ear, right, who's now his kind of whisperer, uh, who chairs that committee and was a part of that original gang of eight that delivered on immigration reform. A lot of Republicans put their neck out for it, and the House, under, unfortunately, didn't take it up. I, I think there might be some renewed energy there. I think Senator Rand Paul has been quite interesting on this national declaration yes. issue by coming out against it. I mean, he's some, what made me think of that was when you were saying who has the president's ear. He's got the president's ear, and for him to so openly be like, no, I mean, that's a little flag on yeah. the play from Senator Rand Paul. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, as a Democrat, you know, I, at least he's consistent, right? And I, I yep. think he was saying the same things with uh, some troubling actions maybe that President Obama took in terms of maybe potential executive overreach. And at least his consistency here, even, you know, it's e even more difficult calling someone out uh, as an executive who's the member of the same party. Uh, he's consistent on that, that issue of executive overreach, and I think could be interesting. When are we getting the Mueller report? End of this week, CIA's former director Brennan said 
somewhere that he thinks it could come Friday. We were saying it was – I feel like every week it's like it's coming, it's coming. Like it's, it's going to be like come or don't come, but like just when, when are we getting it? I think if it's Friday that it's not going to show a whole lot because what do you do with news that doesn't go towards your narrative? You dump it on a Friday. And Chris Stewart, the congressman, for him to say he wants it public is, uh, is remarkable because I think more Republicans are going to start to hear that. All right, we got to go. I want to thank – oh, Paul Manafort gets sentenced tomorrow. That could be interesting. Kevin Walling, Democratic strategist, works over at HG Creative. Uh, and, of course, Lauren Zelt, founder of Zelt uh, Communications and a Republican strategist. Check us out on iTunes as well as on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, the Bloomberg Business app. We're everywhere. And not just me, but my colleagues as well. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.